Indeed, the Lord is good, and He's been good to us, um, even as we come together each and every Sunday to praise and honor Him. Um, it's a joy to have Pastor Dan, his wife and daughter with us here this morning, um, all the way from America, and we are blessed to have you here uh, to join us for service and also to have Michael. I met Michael, uh, I think, a month ago, right? Yeah. So, uh, Pastor Michael as well, to, to, to have him with us um, to join us for service today. Um, let me say once again, thank you for uh, making it yesterday when we had uh, our fellowship uh, meal um, gathering together to celebrate the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. And I pray that God will help us as the church to continue to fellowship together, to strengthen our bond of unity, to strengthen our love for one another and encourage one another, that this will be something that continues in our midst and that God will strengthen us together as a church. Amen. We continue with our uh, series on a church after God's own heart, a church after God's own heart. And today we're going to look at that a church after God's own heart is a praying church. A church after God's own heart is a praying church. And we look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we, we will just look at verse 5 until verse 8. This is um, a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus continues to preach the Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5 to chapter 7. So in chapter 6, we, we still find him in this passage talking about prayer to his disciples. And it's, 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 it's one of those famous passages because this is where we also find the Lord's Prayer, um, which we will also deal with next week. But this week, I just want us to look at verse 5 to verse 8. The church after God's own heart is a praying church. And I read from the ESV, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 8. This is God's word. Let us hear him. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But, I, but, but when you pray, go into your room and, and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And this is God's word. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you're the God who faithfully speaks to us in his word. And we pray that even this morning you will open our hearts, you will open our minds to understand your word, to receive it, and to act upon it, O oh God. Work in our hearts, O oh God, even as we hear your word. Be with me, O oh Lord, even as I declare your word. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought and protect me from error, O oh Lord, that your word may be honored once again, even this morning. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. My historical hero... Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, affectionately referred to as the Prince of Preachers, became a, a leading pastor at the age of, of 19. And, and by age 23, he was 
one of the most sought-after preachers in England. Um, and he led a, a church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. He is without a doubt one of the best preachers England has ever produced. He, he published sermons. His published sermons make up about 63 volumes of books. He, he had great success in his ministry um, as a preacher of the gospel. His ministry attracted people from all walks of life. It is said that when people visited Charles Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle and asked him what the secret of his success was, he, he would take them to the basement prayer room where they will find hundreds of Christians on their knees interceding. Then Spurgeon would say to the visitor, this here is the powerhouse of the church, referring to believers who were on their knees praying. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was, was thankful and found the prayers of these believers a great blessing that in his autobiography, this is what he said. He says, I always give all the glory to God, but I do not forget that he, he gave me the privilege of ministering from first from the first to a praying people. We had prayer meetings that moved our very souls. Each one appeared determined to storm the celestial city by the might of, by, by, by the might of intercession. I love that line. And, and, and this is a great testimony. And I, I believe that it is something that must be said of every church and every believer that we are determined to storm the celestial city by the might of intercession. You see, prayer is the most urgent need of the church in our day. We, we must be a church on our knees. But sadly... This is hardly the case most of the times. Prayer often is, is, is the most neglected spiritual discipline. D.A. Carson writes that we have learned to organize, to build institutions, to publish books, insert ourselves into the media, develop evangelistic church planting strategies, and administer discipleship programs, but it is not but is it not obvious that we have forgotten how to pray? We, we have neglected this, uh, this part of, of the Christian life. We have neglected prayer. You see, prayer is an area that we need to closely look at because when we fail in this area, we fail in every area. In this passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 8, Jesus teaches his disciples on prayer. And reading this passage, you will immediately notice how Jesus wants the minds of his disciples to be rightly shaped in their thinking about prayer. And so when we look at this passage, we learn from these verses four things about prayer. Four things that we need to know about prayer. We, we learn first that prayer must be regular. Prayer must be God-centered. Prayer must be natural. And prayer must arise from faith. 
Let us look at the first point. Prayer must be regular. Prayer must be regular. Notice in verses 5, 6, and 7, the words, when you pray. When you pray. These words give us the idea that Jesus expects the life of his disciples to be lives that are marked by prayer. It must be something that they are already regularly doing. He doesn't say if you pray, but he says when you pray. And the question that we ask when Jesus says these words is then, what is prayer? What do we need to know about prayer? Simply, prayer is communication with God. It is a humble acknowledgement of your weakness and an acknowledgement of God's power. It is dependence upon God. When we are praying, when we pray, we are saying that there is nothing we can do. We are acknowledging before God that there is nothing that we can do. And we resign all to God. The presence or, or absence of prayer speaks of the condition of our relationship with God. Whether we pray whether we do not pray. It says something about our relationship with God. You see, God is our Father, and, and we are His children. And, and, and a, a relationship must involve communication, right? A relationship must involve communication. God speaking to us through His Word, and we speaking to Him through prayer. There must be a cultivation of this relationship, of this communication with God. And Charles Price explains that all relationships grow or wither in proportion to the depth of, of communication that takes place. When governments get into trouble, they have to make room to listen to the people. When industrial relationships break down, the invitation goes out to, to get around the table and negotiate. When marriages hit hard times, there has invariably been a, a breakdown of communication and understanding. And when the Christian life runs dry, there has too often been a breakdown in prayer. This is... This is when, when, we, when we see our lives uh, being dry, our Christian lives being dry, it, it's a symptom of what is happening in our lives. It is, it is, it, we, we, when we try to look at it, it might be because of a lack of prayer. And oftentimes, we give many excuses as to why we neglect the spiritual discipline of praying. And I think out of all the excuses that we give, the, 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 the most common or the number one excuse that people usually give is being busy, right? People say, no, I'm, I'm busy. I have a lot on my hands. I have so much to do, so little time to pray. I, I, I don't have time to pray because I'm busy. I'm, I'm caught up on a lot of things. And, and in response to that, I, I just want to ask a question. Are you busier than Jesus? Are you busier? than Jesus. Uh, by, by comparison, Jesus was the busiest man to ever walk the face of the earth. He, he was always occupied with the Father's work. He, he never wasted a minute of his time. On some occasions, he would spend the whole day healing the sick and, and, and preaching the gospel. Yet, he would still find time to be alone and with the Father in prayer. 
He never made an excuse and said, Father, I am busy to pray. I am so much busy. Look at what I'm doing. Isn't this enough? We give that excuse as if that excuse is, 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 is a valid excuse before God not to pray. There's never an excuse not to pray. We must take advantage of every opportunity to approach the Lord. Whether in pain or whether in joy, we must take advantage of every opportunity. So prayer must be a lifestyle that, that we regularly cultivate. But not only that. The second thing we must know about prayer is that prayer must be God-centered. Prayer must be God-centered. We see that in verses uh, 5b to uh, verses 5b and verse 6. Look at what the Word of God says. I was just uh, 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 prayer must be regular. He says, and when you pray again, prayer must be God-centered. He says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for for they love to stand uh, and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have, their, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who, is, who sees in secret will reward you. The, 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 the focus on, of prayer must be God. In prayer, we must focus on God. And so Jesus calls his disciples to have a God-centered focus in prayer. He, he, does, he does this by demonstrating to them how not to pray and how to pray. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You see, hypocrites were, were praying, but uh, it was a prayer that Jesus frowned upon. It was a prayer that he advised his disciples against. Their prayer was not uh, God-centered, but was focused on, on people. They only offered their prayer when there was an audience. He, he gives reason here as to why we must not imitate the hypocrites because they, 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 they were not focusing on God. He says, he says that for, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. They pray when only someone is listening, where, where a crowd is gathering. They, 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 they have no personal prayer life because they don't have a crowd to rub their egos uh, when they are alone and, and tell them how godly they are, how, how pious they are. And, and Jesus rightly calls them hypocrites. You see, the word hypocrite was, was used for, for actors who, who wore big masks and, and played fictional roles on, 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 on stage to entertain people. It, it, it was only make-believe, but it was not true. It was not real life. And these actors lived and thrived on the applause of the crowds. The, the bigger the applause, the better. And so Jesus calls them actors. He, he calls them hypocrites because of their motive in offering their, up their prayers. The, the motive of their prayer was that they may be seen by others. They, they wanted to be applauded as spiritual giants. They, they, they wanted people to, to look at them and applaud them as, 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 as heroes of the faith. And John Calvin comments on this, passage, on, on this passage saying, 
It is a gross and shameful profanation of the name of God. When, when hypocrites, in order to obtain glory for men, pray in public or at least make a pretense of praying. And to add to that, I would say that it is a dishonor to God because it takes, it takes what in its purity God meant for his glory and it corrupts it for shameful gain and, 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 and for lesser things. And this is why Jesus says they have their reward. Imagine the, the, the applause that they sought after is their reward. Imagine that for a second, running in a marathon, running in a marathon, and, and, and you, you are running so fast, and you are, you are ahead of everyone, and you arrive in time, and, and you are waiting for your prize, and they say to you, no, the applause of the crowds is, is your reward. It's vain. It's in, 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 I think it's Tswana or Soto. They say, go... Uh, it's it's like wrapping uh, the wind with a blanket thinking that you caught the wind so after showing how not to pray he, he shows us how to pray and notice the sharp contrast in verse 6 he says but when you pray Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. Your father who is in secret will reward you. Jesus calls them to a God-centered prayer. A prayer that, that has no public audience as its, as its main goal. But it is focusing on an audience of one, God himself. He says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. The first thing we need to deal with here is that Jesus is not saying that the only legitimate way to pray is to pray in secret. He's not saying that. When we consider the testimony of scripture, we see that that is not an accurate interpretation of the words of Jesus here. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus says, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done um, by my Father in heaven. And again, we see in Acts chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we see the example of the 120 disciples praying together. So in this context, in this statement, the context of this statement is, is warning about hypocrisy. The real test of our prayer life is not praying that goes on in public, but the praying that goes on in secret. In one sense, anyone can pray in public, particularly when motivated by an audience, right? When motivated by the fact that people will applaud you for the words that you used, for the jargon that you, you, you displayed, for waxing eloquent. It, 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 it is the time alone with God behind the closed door that gives evidence of the reality of our prayer lives. In other words, the, the, the fires of public prayer are kindled in the closet. And in contrast to the reward of the hypocrites, Jesus says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
The Father who sees in secret will reward you. I love what John MacArthur says here. He says, when God, is genuine, when God is genuinely the audience of our prayer, we will have the reward only he can give. Jesus gives no idea in this passage as to what God's reward or payment will be. The important truth is that God will faithfully and unfailingly bless those who come to him in sincerity. Without question, the Lord will repay those who... Those who pray insincerely and hypocritically will receive the world's reward. And those who pray sincerely and humbly will receive God's reward. So Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be actors. Don't do it for, 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 for the applause of people, but do it uh, before God. So we see the second thing about prayer is that prayer must be God-centered. Not only that, but the third thing about prayer that we must know is that prayer must be natural. Prayer must be natural. Look at verse 7 and verse 8b. Verse 8a. Verse 7 and verse 8a. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. <clears throat> for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. See, although prayer must be out of reverence for God, but it must be natural and it must be, it must be confident. We must remember that we are children of God speaking to our heavenly Father. Jesus says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for, for they think they will be heard, for there are many words. So Jesus uses here two words. The first word that he uses speaks of an unnecessary repetition of words. And the second speaks of meaningless words. In doing this, he wants to deal with those who have a, a worldview that they can persuade God by their lengthy prayers. They think that lengthy prayers twist the hand of God. Those who think that long prayers can twist the hand of God and in, in answering prayer that he was not intending to, to answer. So Jesus is dealing with that worldview that they should not be like the Gentiles. And we see this a lot in our time. When people pray, most of the time they start to speak in an archaic language. They, they start to speak in the King James Version English. You, you hear someone saying, Oh great God, heareth thou the prayer of thy humble servant. I beseech thee to take heed of mine supplications. They go from great 12 English to PhD English in a matter of seconds when they pray. And again, we see it in, when people change their tone when it comes to prayer. Right? They start to speak in a loud voice of great poets or, or in the voices of black American preachers. Oh, Lord. You know, those kind of voices, they, they start to speak as if, as if God does not hear any other voice. He, he hears this voice of poets. He, he hears this voice of American preachers. You must speak like a preacher. When you approach God, Or sometimes, even in a memorized prayer. 
every time you pray, you pray a prayer that you memorized when you were a child. A prayer that does not flow from the heart. A young man um, had a prayer, another young man had a, had a prayer that he, he had memorized and, and, and he prayed it every night faithfully. But he got to a point um, that he, he got tired of, of, of praying that prayer. That he took a paper and wrote down that prayer that he had memorized. And he, he pasted it on the wall of his, of his bedroom. So whenever, every night before he, he, he went to bed, he will point to the, to, to, to the paper and say, God, you know. It was a prayer that he memorized and God already knew what he was going to say. He, he, that's what he, he was thinking, that I have got, you know what I'm going to say, so you can read that this evening. It is very important, church family, that we know that God does not answer prayer because of its length or because of its colorful speech. In prayer, the heart must go before the words. Did you get that? The heart goes before the words. The Gentiles believed the value of prayer was in its quantity. The longer you pray, the more likely you will be heard. They believed that before their, they, they, they believed that before their gods would hear them, they, they needed to be woken up. They, they needed to be persuaded into listening and answering their prayers. They needed to be cajoled. They needed to be, to be kind of forced to, to answer their prayers. To be overwhelmed by the amount of prayer, by the quantity of prayer that they would answer and, and listen to their prayer. And so they would chant meaningless phrases repeatedly over and over and over again. And so Jesus says to them, do not be like them. Do not be like the disciples, the, 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 the Gentiles. Do not imitate them. When you approach God, do not have that mindset in your mind. Let your heart go before your words. And, and this leads us to our fourth and final point as to why Jesus says our prayer must be normal. The fourth thing we must know about prayer is that prayer must arise from faith. Prayer must arise from faith. We see that in verse 8b. He says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. I see, prayer must arise from faith. For your father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. And notice that he does not say, your father in heaven knows what you need, therefore you don't need to ask him. He's not saying that. He say, he's not saying that, but, but because he knows what you need before you ask him, you, you must be motivated to ask because God already knows. And this is usually what um, people say whenever they hear about the sovereignty and the wisdom of God. This is 
the thoughts that they, that comes to mind. They say if God is in control over all things and, and he knows all things, what then is the necessity of praying? Because he already knows, right? What then is the necessity? Why do I need to come before him? He knows. But it is important to know that the sovereignty and, and, and wisdom of God does not prevent the necessity and the effectiveness of prayer. If anything, this knowledge of the sovereignty of God and the wisdom of God must inspire us to, to approach the Lord in faith, to approach the Lord in prayer each and every day. I love what John Calvin says with regards to this issue. He says, believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty or urging him to as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his bosom in a word, I'm sorry, on meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves for their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom. In a word, that they may declare that from, from him alone they hope and expect, both for themselves and for others, all good things. God himself, on the other hand, has purposed freely and without being asked to bestow blessings upon us. But he promises that he will grant them to our prayers. So when we approach the Lord, we, we must not approach him thinking that we are, we are forcing him to do anything. We're thinking that we are um, exciting him, we are urging him. It's, it's, it's unfortunate that when you listen to a lot of people pray today, it's as if God is a vending machine. It's as if prayer is a coin that they, they insert in the, vending, in the vending machine and they press for whatever product that they want. They talk about uh, decreeing and declaring as if they are the second God. We, we don't decree and declare before God. That is a work of God alone. There's nowhere in the scripture where the Bible calls us to decree and declare anything. Nowhere. The Bible calls us to approach God in humility. To decree and declare is not humility. It is pride before God. Prayer is not forcing God to do anything. To approach the Lord in prayers, to know who God is. In faith, when we approach God in faith, is to know who He is and what He has accomplished for us. Is to know that He is a great God. When we, when 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 someone possesses faith, it, it, it does not speak of you. Um, when you say I I, I have faith. The, the fact that you possess faith that does, does not speak of you, but it speaks of the object of faith that you, you placed your faith in. I, I, I hope that is, is clear. Let me, let me give this, this example. If I say to you, I have great faith in my mechanic, it doesn't speak about me, right? What does it speak about? It speaks about my mechanic. 
It speaks about the fact that uh, the fact that I have great faith in him is possibly, uh, I'm possibly saying that I, I trust the fact that he does a good job when he, he, he takes care of my car. That he is reliable, that, that he, his business, he does his business out of honesty and integrity. That he, his craft is, 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 is one that can be trusted. It speaks of my mechanic more than it speaks about me. In the same way, when I'm saying I have great faith in God, it doesn't speak anything about me. It doesn't say anything about me. It says a lot about God. It says a lot about who God is. It says a lot about the attributes of God. It says a lot about the greatness of God. It says a lot about the power of God, the wisdom of God, the sovereignty of God. Faith uh, exalts God. It does not exalt the one who has faith. So it's not that thing of, of oh, great men of God. It's not, it's not about that. It's about God himself. It speaks of the fact that God is faithful. He, he is reliable. He's trustworthy. He never fails. He, and, and many, many more. Uh, Martin Luther says that our praying, by our praying, we are instructing ourselves more than we are him. I love that. In other words, we instruct ourselves of our weaknesses and of God's power. We instruct ourselves of our inabilities and, and God's ability. We instruct ourselves that there is no one who can hear us, who can hear our, our, our prayers and our cries more than God does. We're not instructing God, but we are preaching to our souls. We, we speak into our souls and, and when we approach God in prayer. We're reminding our souls that there is no help for me except for God alone. That my help is with the Lord. God is my refuge. So prayer, as we think about it, must be regular. It must be God-centered. It must be natural. And it must arise from faith. I love what uh, J.C. Riley says. He says, no time is so well spent in every day as that which we spent upon our knees. The time we spent on our knees is a time well spent. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. You call us, oh God, to prayer, to seek your face. When you said, seek my face, may we be like David who said, I said to you, your face, oh Lord, I shall seek. Work in our hearts, oh God. Draw us to yourself and show us the value of drawing to you each and every day in prayer. Glorify your name, even in the preaching of your word, as we heard it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.